If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. As Greg said, we're continuing this series. You asked for it. And the topic this morning is, what does the Bible say about forgiveness? And I'm so glad that you asked to hear more about forgiveness, because as you know, we live in a very divided world. Uh, I mean, however you splice it, our world is divided over multiple issues. We're divided over race. We're divided by politics. We're divided by gender. Just by those categories alone, I could kind of put all of us in different groups in the room in terms of what we think, how we feel, the experiences that we've had just on those issues alone. Uh, But it's not something that's just out there, like out in that big, bad, scary world. It's something that's close to us. It's in our neighborhoods. I was just on a prayer walk yesterday. We do a Saturday morning prayer meeting. Uh, first Saturday of every month. You should be there next time because it's awesome. But uh, this yesterday, Greg took us out. He said, hey, let's go prayer walk in the neighborhood and see what God's doing in the neighborhood. And one of the guys I came across in my group, we asked him, how can we pray for the neighborhood? He said, pray for unity. He's feeling that his neighborhood is divided, but it's not just our neighborhoods. It's our homes. It's our marriages. It's our friendships. We live in a world that's divided, that's broken, that's been fractured by sin. And for some of us, this really hits home. Some of us have been seriously wronged and hurt by other people. Some of us have had things done to us that is so gross, that is so painful, that is so wrong, that's so unjust, that the idea of forgiveness feels to you like something that's very unjust and unfair. And we will get into that later for sure. But I just want to acknowledge that on the front end. For some of us, it's not the big things. For some of us, it's, it's the daily interactions. It's the daily offenses that build up in our heart, the little frustrations that we take on and the, the things that we feel towards people that we don't deal with and they build and they build and they build and they drive a wedge between us and the people that we're closest to, whether it be your coworkers or your roommates, whoever it may be. And we feel it at the human level. We feel it with one another, which is why when we pull into the parking lot, we see their car, we're like, ah, wish they weren't here. Or when you look at them, you don't really look at them, right? You're just kind of like, hey, but you don't want to make eye contact. 
because you don't want to see that person and you don't want to conversate. And, and if you do talk, it's like, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. All right, I'm out of here. I made it. You know, like we feel it at the human level, but what the Bible tells us is there's something very spiritual happening every time we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. And then, and then there's something very spiritual happening every time we make the decision to forgive. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that we have an enemy of our souls. Jesus is called the good shepherd. And he says, and you have an enemy of your souls. And our enemy's agenda, John chapter 10, verse 10, is to destroy us. That's his agenda. Just in case you didn't know, there is a spiritual enemy of your souls who is the king of all darkness and his goal in life is to destroy you. That's his agenda. His strategy is to divide us. Matthew 12, 25, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If the enemy wants to destroy our house, the first thing he has to do is divide our house. And that applies in the church. So if the, if the enemy wants to destroy and rip apart churches, what does he do? He divides churches. If the enemy wants to destroy and rip apart friendships, what does he do? He divides friendships. If the enemy wants to destroy your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your closest friends, your community group, we're just talking about community groups. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's good. We make friends. There's diversity there. I meet with God there, but there's also people there. And those people will offend us. They will hurt us. They will forget our birthday. We sang Haley's birthday today. It may be your birthday today. And, and, and that would, I would feel bad about that, but it may be reality. You may be sitting there going, what about me? And that's what happens in community. And if we don't deal with that, Satan will be successful in his agenda of destroying our lives by isolating us and then getting us in our own heads and just bitterness piling up in our hearts. And so his agenda is to destroy us. His strategy is to divide us. His tactic, his tactic is to cause us to take on an offense. For all those in the room who are married, it is not about the dishes. It is not about the laundry all over the house. It is not about them not taking the trash out again. It is not about fill in the blank. It is about Satan trying to divide and destroy your house. Uh, for those of us in the room who are single, who have roommates, it is not about the fact that they had people over again and they didn't ask you. It is not about the fact that they just keep dirty in dishes and expect you to be their mama and clean up for them. It's not about that. It's about Satan trying to destroy the friendship. And it's about Satan trying to destroy this church and our community groups and all the good things that God is doing in this place. His tactic is to get us to take on that offense and to harbor it in our hearts to where it grows and it, it goes down deep. And then there's a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many people. That's his agenda is to destroy us. His tactic is through the little, little, little offenses. And Peter, Peter is a good disciple of Jesus. He knows this. He's aware of this. He knows that we're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, man, Jesus, I, I'm just struggling. I got a brother and he keeps sinning against me. And, and I'm just wondering, Jesus, like, how long do I have to do this until I throw up my hands and say, enough, enough with this fool. Like I'm done with him. He's in your hands. Punish him, do whatever you want, but I'm done forgiving him. And so Peter, he knows that the rabbinical rule of thumb in the day is three times. If you forgive someone three times, you have completely, totally forgiven them. You're off the hook. You can stop. 
But Peter knows Jesus, like he was there on the Sermon of the Mount. He knows that uh, Jesus' standard is a little bit higher than, you know, the rabbis of the day. And so he knows, you know, Jesus said, you know, they say that if you lust after a woman in your heart, that you, or sorry, they say if you've committed adultery with a woman, then you've sinned. I say if you lust, if you look at a woman with lustful intent in your heart, you've already sinned. They say, if you murder your brother, you've sinned. I say, if you just harbor anger towards your brother in your heart, you've already murdered him. Peter knows Jesus ups the ante. And so he's like, they say three. Lord, how often, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he goes for the number of completion. I mean, Peter's smart. He's like, I know the, the, the biblical number of completion is seven. Anytime God wants to communicate, I've finished this. This is completely done or my promise is completely fulfilled. He uses the number seven. I mean, you talk about Elijah in the Old Testament praying that the rain would come. How many times did it take? Seven times. He completely prayed it through. Anytime we want to communicate to God that God, we're, we're fully walking in your will. We say it or we do it seven times. So Peter says, okay, Jesus, I'll completely forgive. Seven times should I forgive my brother? Would that do it? And then am I off the hook? Jesus is like, nah, Peter, not seven times. 77 times. I want you to completely, completely forgive your brother. I want you, Peter, to forgive your brother without condition, no matter how grievous, how significant his sin is against you. Because we don't know the context. We don't know if Peter's brother is just like in his house, mooching off him, eating his food, messing up his space, being in his world too much. We don't know. Or if Peter's brother is stealing from him or sleeping with his wife, we don't know how grievous the sin is. But we do know, Peter says, how many times do I have to do this? Jesus says, 77, completely, unconditionally, over and over and over again. Now, Bible commentators, they draw a connection between the statement that Jesus makes to Peter here and something that Lamech says in Genesis chapter four, verse 24. And let me just put some context to this. So Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman had two sons. One is Cain and one is Abel. And Cain got bitter at his brother because God accepted Abel's offering and not his own. God accepted Abel's offering because Abel's offering was a blood offering. Abel offered an animal. Only blood can take away sin. Cain offered a good offer, like a good gift to the Lord, which was the first fruits of his harvest, but his, his gift could not take away his sin, right? Because only blood can take away sin, which is why on the cross, Jesus had to spill his blood for us because it's by the blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven. Well, anyway, so, so Cain sees that God accepts Abel's offering and not his own, and he gets bitter towards Abel, and he harbors bitterness, which becomes vengeance in his heart, which causes him to kill his brother. And Lamech, who is an evil man, who is a uh, significant, uh, cruel leader in this time, reflecting on this while he's hanging out with one of his wives, having a little brag sesh about how vengeful he is. I mean, he says, if a, if a man were to strike me, I'd kill him. Like, baby, you know who you got? Like, that's his, that's kind of how he is. And Lamech, reflecting on this, says if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. What he's saying is, baby, I'm the most vengeful man in the world. You don't cross me. And what Peter says when he makes this statement to Peter is he says, Peter, as Lamech, marked himself as the most vengeful man in the world. You mark yourself as the most forgiving man in the world. As Lamech said, no man will ever cross me. You make the decision, Peter, 
that there will never be a seed of bitterness that goes down into your heart, that you will never allow yourself to grow bitter, to grow vengeful, but that you will be marked. When someone looks on you, they will say, that is a forgiving man. And when we see this throughout the New Testament, that the disciples of Jesus were marked by a forgiving spirit. I mean, Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even in recent times, I mean, I've recently been reading the life story of John Perkins, who was a civil activist leader in the 1960s and 70s. And it's just horrendous to read his life story because, uh, you know, most people think that uh, racism ended, you know, back uh, long before that. And I'm reading these stories and yet here is this man who is having peaceful protest, uh, wrongfully arrested, uh, being beaten to the point of almost being unrecognizable. Uh, I mean, jumped by multiple officers in a prison cell in Mississippi, his face getting kicked in, his head shaved bald while they pour whiskey over his head and say things to him that should never be said to another human being. And he tells the story of lying in his hospital bed after this offense, after this horrific thing that's happened where he was effectively left for dead and his wife getting death threats and his children getting death threats. And he says, I'm laying in my hospital bed and I'm recognizing that there is a, there is a crossroads before me that I, can ev- that I can either become like those evil men who did this to me and I can harbor anger and bitterness in my heart and be marked by that, or I can go the path of Jesus Christ. I can go the path of the cross and I can forgive these men and I can pray for these men. And he says it was a remarkable day, the, the day that he first saw a Mississippi sheriff and he didn't have anger and hatred, but he had love and mercy towards them. This is the thing that should mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ, that no matter what happens to us, we forgive those who have hurt us and wronged us and offended us. And so Jesus tells this story not to minimize our pain and our hurt, but to maximize our view of what he has done for us on the cross. And he tells about a king who represents himself. There's three characters in the story. There's a king who represents Jesus or God, There's a servant who represents us, which we would do really well to identify with this servant in all of the ways this servant is marked in the story. And this servant owes an unpayable debt to God. And then there's another servant who represents those who offend us or hurt us. And this servant owes a sizable debt to the other servant. And so Jesus tells this story in verse 27, gives an outline for I wanna say. So if you have your Bibles, open back up to Matthew 18 and scroll down to verse 27. It's also going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible open. I just want to recognize that some of us in this room, even on hearing the word forgiveness, when you heard what today's message, you may have been holding back tears. And I just want to recognize that God is in this place. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there he is with us that God is in this place to minister to you, to bring healing to you, to to bring his healing balm to those broken, hurting, angry places in your heart. And I just wanna recognize the presence of God in this place for us to be sensitive to that and for us to be responding to him. I'm gonna do my best to be faithful with this, but end of the day, I mean, we, we need God to minister to us so that we might give this 
gift of forgiveness to others. So here's our outline, Matthew 18, 27. And out of pity for him, pity's key, the master of that servant released and forgave him the debt. What does it look like to forgive someone? Step one, we sympathize with our offender. We intentionally have pity or compassion on the one who has hurt us or offended us. And this is crucial. Uh, Step two, we forgive them and we release them of the debt. So we cancel the record of debt, which means that we drop the list of offenses against them. We make a decision to no longer review the offenses regularly. We make a decision to no longer stew over them or to build them up, to let them just burn in our heart. We make a decision to do what Jesus did for us, which is to cast their sin away from them. He says he cast our sin as far as the East is from the West. When he looks on us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees his child who he loves. When we look on our offender, we should not see their sin anymore or work to not see their sin anymore, but look on them as a human being made in the image of God. That's what it means to sympathize with them. We don't associate their sins with them anymore. And we release them from the need to ever pay us back. So we don't shun them. We don't make them pay in the way that we relate to them. We don't wish that bad things would happen to them. We don't speak poorly of them to other people. We make a decision. I will not speak ill of this person. That's a part of forgiveness. We fully release them from the debt that they owe us. And in doing so, we actually release ourselves from a prison of bitterness. There's a prison of offense and bitterness that we will lock ourselves up into if we do not go through this. It has been said that living in unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And this story, living in unforgiveness, means we go back into the prison of cutting God out of our lives and in breaking all of the relationships around us. So step one, how do we intentionally have pity or compassion on our offender, especially if all we can feel in this moment is anger and hatred and rage towards them? Tim Keller, pastor and author in New York City, he, I think he says something that's really helpful in this regard. He says, unforgiveness is a failure to include my offender in the community of humans and a failure to include myself in the community of sinners. To forgive someone we have to include them in the community of humans, which means that we recognize that they too were born into a sinful, broken world with sinful, broken tendencies. And that they too have an enemy of their souls who is always seeking to lead them down a dark, destructive path where they will hurt others and hurt themselves. It's recognizing that that hurt people hurt people and broken people break people, which means if someone is hurting us or breaking us or has hurt us or has broken us, it means that they probably have a significant hurt and brokenness in their life that they are taking out on us. And so we, we, include them in the community of humans. We don't demonize them as someone that we could never, ever, ever be like because we recognize also, number two, that we are a part of the community of sinners, that apart from the mercy and grace of God, that we could be just like them or worse than them. And for some of us, this is gonna mean crushing our self-justification. This is gonna mean crushing our sense of us being good people because what the Bible tells us is that we weren't good people. That, that we sinned, we fell short of God's glory and that we would have just spiraled into more and more darkness and wickedness and evil had Jesus not rescued us out of that place. And some of us need to realize just the homes we were brought up in, the childhood we experienced, that's God's mercy to us. And in a different situation, among a different family, among a different network, we may have been even worse than our offender. And so we include ourselves in the community of sinners. When we do that, we experience compassion 
Compassion is to enter into the suffering of another person. It's to sympathize with them and to consider it from their perspective. And now our, our heart will hate this. Our heart will not want to do this naturally. That's our sin nature. Our heart will want to self-justify. It will want to push them down. Forgiveness is understanding the person is being just like us. So they're not the liar or the cheater, but they're a human who has lied or has cheated in the same way that we've sinned against God. And sympathizing with our offenders, it takes effort. It's an exercise. Uh, it's like a, forgiveness is like a muscle that needs to be worked. Compassion is like a muscle that needs to be worked. And it's important that we work it in the daily offenses so that when something big comes, we're ready for it. So it's important that we work it when a friend forgets our birthday again, or when they're insensitive on that issue again, they did it again, or they push that button again. That happens when you're really close with people. They just know where to push and they push and push and we forgive. We need to exercise the muscle of forgiveness on a daily basis so it's ready when the big stuff comes. Let me give you a few examples. Potentially a coworker backstabbing you, being nice and friendly to your face and just stabbing you in the back the second you turn around. Some in this room, you may have had a spouse or a partner cheat on you. And that is as deep as a cut can get. Some of us, I pray it never happens, but I just, I know the reality of our day. Some of our children could be molested. How do you forgive when that happens? It's only by understanding the mercy and grace that he has poured out on us that we could ever, we could ever forgive when something like that happens. One of the greatest examples in my life is one of the elders in this church, him and his wife. When their kids were younger, two of their boys were molested by a family friend, someone they trusted, they loved, they thought was good. And when confronted, the person said, yeah, I did it. And yet they remained unrepentant. They said, I would do it again. And yet they were able to look them in the eye and say, we forgive you. And this was 15 years ago. And they still pray for that person to this day that they would know the goodness of God, that they would receive the mercy of Jesus, that they would repent and receive the life that God has for them, that they would quit living in that wicked place. How do you do that? How do you bring yourself to the point of praying for the good of those who have done such wrong to you? only by the mercy and grace of God, only by understanding that, that we too are great offenders in need of a great savior. Jesus compares us to a, to a servant who has forgiven an enormous amount of debt, 10,000 talents. A talent was an amount of money and it was equal to 20 years wages. And this guy owed 10,000 talents or 200,000 years wages. It's 3,000 lifetimes with a good salary. Translation, this was an unpayable debt. You and I, we had an unpayable debt. And you know, oftentimes we miscalculate our debt towards God. We minimize it. We, we act like it's not that big of a deal. Some of you may even be feeling like, I don't know if I owe God uh, 3,000 lifetimes of repayment. Maybe I owe God more like a couple of years of repayment, a couple of years of coming to church and serving, maybe giving. Uh, 
maybe, oh God, that, like maybe that would push me over the line of being good enough to be with God. But no, no, no. What Jesus says, so if you wanna be a Christian, what Jesus says is that we owed God our life 3,000 times over. And even that would not be enough. We minimize, we miscalculate the debt that we owe God. Friends, it should not be a surprise to us if the people who sin against us miscalculate the debt that they owe us. It should not be a surprise to us to us if our offenders minimize what they've done, if they fail to even admit what they've done, if they refuse to apologize for what they've done, or they don't even realize that they offended us at all. And some of us, we've been waiting for them to come to us. We've been waiting for them to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Which by the way, those are the hardest words to ever come out of a human being's mouth. We hate saying, I have sinned, please forgive me. And some of us are waiting for our offender to do that for us. And I have bad news, which is they maybe never come. And Jesus puts the onus on us that it's our calling, irrelevant of what they do, to extend forgiveness. And just a little tip in conflict, it's better to forgive before we enter the conflict than when you're in the conflict. It's hard in the conflict to have a merciful spirit when you're still unforgiving towards them. If you're waiting to win the battle and then you'll forgive, it's a bad way to do conflict. Just forgive and then go do the conflict. Works a lot better. This is not, the way we desire to act with people is not how God has treated us. Romans 5, 8 tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While there was no apology, no remorse in our hearts, Christ died for us. He showed us the mercy that we didn't deserve. And notice there was a real debt. Sometimes we fear that forgiveness means minimizing or excusing the person's sin. It does not mean that. I wanna be really clear. Forgiveness does not mean excusing sin. Matter of fact, the first step in forgiveness is acknowledging that there was an offense, acknowledging that there was a hurt. And then from there, we take the step of forgiveness. Somebody always has to pay. And in our case, God paid for us. In our offender's case, God is calling us to pay for them, to absorb the pain and the hurt, to not inflict it on them, but to absorb it ourselves that we might give to them the gift of forgiveness. It will cost us. It costs us to forgive. And God says, pay for them what I have paid for you. But the reason we don't forgive is we want them to pay. We do, we want them to pay. And so we gossip about them. We avoid them. We secretly wish something bad happens to them. We withhold affection we, to other people about them because we want them to pay. And listen, the servant in this story owed 100 denarii. 100 denarii in today's money, about $15,000. Uh, someone may not owe you $15,000. I'll tell you what, if somebody owed me $15,000, I would want that. Like, that's real money to me. I would want that. If you owe me 15 grand, I'm asking you like, hey, when's that coming my way? And maybe after a while, I'm like, I might have to turn you in. You know, but someone may not owe you $15,000, but they may owe you something else. Let me just give you a few examples. Maybe you found out a friend has been acting friendly to your face and then bad you behind your back. Maybe you found out that your boss has been holding promotions back from you because of your race or your gender. I'm just talking real life here. Maybe you realize this stuff. Maybe it's your spouse that owes you. Don't elbow in the side when I say these either because... They're lazy and they expect you to do everything or you feel their lack of affection and pursuit or you feel like you only ever get told when you're not measuring up where you're failing and all the while you feel like you're the one carrying the load of the house and you're like, what's going on here? I don't know what people owe you. I probably missed your list, but someone owes you something. 
and you know it, their, their name is in your mind right now. That situation is, it's maybe been on your mind since I said, what does the Bible say about forgiveness? The point of the story is that we owed God 10,000 talents or $6 billion in our day. And he forgave every single penny and we are called to do the exact same for our offenders. Oftentimes forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's not like we forgive someone and it's over. Sometimes they keep sinning and we need to keep forgiving. Or sometimes we forgive them and there are emotional moments where it feels fresh again. We need to make the decision over and over and over and over and over and over. I'm gonna go until I hit 77 and over and over and over and over. I'm just kidding, I won't. And over again. We gotta keep making the decision. I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna forgive. Oh, they said it and it stings. I'm gonna forgive. Oh, I'm just feeling it. I'm gonna forgive them. I'm, I'm wiping that, I'm, I'm washing that away from, I'm casting that away from them. I'm not thinking about them that way. And so this is gonna take sometimes time in prayer, time in the word of God, time with other believers, maybe just one or two, because you, you could say to, oh, I'm just so mad at this person. You just, you're gossiping. You're not confessing, you're gossiping. And it's gonna take again and again, we forgive, we forgive, and we forgive. Verse 26, the wicked servant implored the king, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And the king didn't give him patience. He gave him something better. He gave him mercy. The same language is used in verse 29. Have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. It happened again, but instead of mercy, the wicked servant refused to forgive. Some of us are living in a refusal to forgive. We have our defenses up right now. You're feeling as I'm talking, Dylan, I'm mad at you and I wish you'd shut up. And I just wanna plead with you to please stop refusing to give. Please enter into the mercy of God and extend the same mercy that he has given to you. We have a decision today, which is we can be like the wicked servant and hold on to offenses, or we can be like our King Jesus and extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. And I just wanna, again, take some time and recognize that, that this will be a very hard step for some. Maybe the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And for some, it will feel very unjust, unfair. It may even feel wrong. I don't know, but I would imagine that there are some in this room who have been emotionally and physically abused, maybe by your family, maybe by close friends, maybe by your, your spouse or relationship. Statistically speaking, it's likely that some in this room have been molested and even raped. Forgiveness for you is, it doesn't feel good to think about doing that. And, and I just believe God wants to meet with you today. That God wants to come near to you. Like I said, he's present in this room. He's present with us right now. That he wants to minister the mercy of God and the healing of God into your heart that you know, you're, you're, you've held on to it and it has continued to give your offender control over you. They're, they're continuing to have power and control in your life because, because of your refusal and your hesitation to forgive. But when you release that to God and when you, when you enter into the mercy of God and you say, Jesus, come heal me where I'm wounded. God, come replace anger with love and compassion and pity. And, and you take the step of saying, I will forgive them today, you will experience the mercy of God like you've not experienced in a long time. And for some of you, that person has been controlling your relationships, your life with God, your emotional state for longer than they should have. 
and it is time to release them and in doing so, release yourself as well. Today is the day to release the debt, to walk free from the prison of unforgiveness. And, and I just wanna say a few things. You may fear that forgiveness means they get away with it. And we just need to know that forgiveness does not mean a lack of justice. We can forgive and still call the police. We can forgive and still testify against someone in court. We can forgive and never trust that person again. Forgiveness is a decision to release them of the debt. Trust is something that is lost quickly and it's earned very slowly. And for some people, they will never have our trust again. Reconciliation, it's the same way. Forgiveness is a decision in the moment. Reconciliation is something that takes two parties and it takes time. And that's a process. Forgiveness is a decision. Reconciliation, trust, that's a process. For some, there will never be reconciliation. There will never be trust. And and in some situations, that's okay. That's actually good. Because the offense was too... It was so defiling that there, there could not be relationship again this side of heaven, and that is okay. In the body of Christ, we fight for it more than any other place. Some of us are struggling today, not with forgiving someone else, but with forgiving ourselves. And we're struggling to believe that God could love us, that he could forgive us for the things that we have done. And we need to see Jesus again, hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and in his feet. We need to see him hanging on the cross for our transgression and our iniquity. Iniquity, if you look up the definition, it's immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Friends, the things that you feel the most shame about, the sins that you look on in your life and you just wanna tuck them away and never have anyone see them because it would cause you so much shame and guilt, those are the things that were in the mind of God when he crushed his son on the cross for your sins and mine. And in his mercy, we have power to show mercy. Friends, in light of the mercy of Jesus, we have no other option but to forgive those who have hurt us And even after this message, you may not feel like forgiving. The feelings of forgiveness, the feelings of pity, the feelings of compassion, those are like reconciliation. They take a long time and sometimes the pain will never go away. But you can make the decision today. It doesn't matter how you feel in terms of making the decision. You can make this decision today that I will forget, that I will forgive And friends, Jesus is enough for every one of us, regardless of the size, the depth, the quality, the quantity of the offense. Today is the day that we let it go. Today is the day that we choose to forgive completely. And so I wanna ask you, I wanna encourage you, I wanna urge you, do not leave here today without finishing this. Don't walk out these doors today without letting this go here and now and making the decision, I forgive that person. Make the decision today that you will walk in the freedom of forgiveness to forgive with the same sacrificial, consistent, unconditional love that he has forgiven us with. I'm gonna ask you to do something right now that's gonna be bold. It's gonna be scary. You may even feel resistance to it. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. No one's gonna know that you're doing it, but I wanna ask you to take a moment and think of this person 
Think of the wrong they've done to you. Think of the hurt they've caused you. Think of the pain that you've lived with. Think of the control this has had on your life. And to think of Jesus on the cross, on the cross, being crushed, being pierced for our sins and for theirs. So if you'll stand with me, I'd like us to stand and close our eyes together in prayer.